Father, we thank you that you're a God who knows the beginning from the end. You're a God that is over all the different seasons of life, the ups and the downs. And so we can trust you and not wonder that you've left things to chance. And most of all, we, we understand and know you've also provided a way in which you can, our souls might be rescued. As a just and holy God, you have given us your son who is also just. And yet we are unjust. Yet we fall short in our sin and yet you have provided a means by which we might know you and have relationship with you through your son. Gives us something to sing about, something to get up in the morning and even look out in a broken world in our own broken hearts, in our own broken lives, and know that we still have hope. And so, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who draws near through your Son in good times and in bad, that you, we can trust that your plans are good, even though we can look around and see all the trouble in our lives and in our world. So thank you, Lord, for your love for us that you've shown us through your Son. Help that. Remain clear in our hearts today as we open your inerrant word, the word you've given to us that we might know you, that we might know how to live and how to please you, that we might, through your spirit, live lives that walk worthy of the calling. We can't do that on our own. We need you to work in our lives. We love you and thank you for time and your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had just finished uh, my first period seminary class. And I walked to the student center as I normally would between classes. But on this day, I walked into the student center and I saw a flood of students and professors around the TV. And I came around to the TV and I saw the North Tower in New York on fire. And then moments later, to our horror, we see another plane coming to the South Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. And I remember sitting there with professors and other students, many students that I knew who were calling their friends that lived in New York and a couple of friends who and family who worked in the trade centers and they're trying to get a hold of them and we prayed and we consoled one another. And then the days that followed, I remember then-President Bush rightly declaring war on Al-Qaeda with his bullhorn on the heap of rubble of the World Trade Center. I can hear you, the rest of the world can hear you, and the people who knocked down these buildings will hear us all soon. Do you remember that day 21 years ago? Some of you can remember. I was 26 years old. And I was asking questions at the time, like, should I enlist? Should I be a part of dealing with these terrorists? And then came all the questions of evil, questions about God allowing something like that. And if you were at least like 25 or 30 years old at the time, you likely remember that day. You likely remember the confusion and the fear and the hurt that you felt for fellow Americans. 
the prayers that you prayed, the questions that you had for God, least of which were these, we want justice. Justice needs to be served. Wrongs, evils need to be made right. You ever felt that before, whether it was that day or other days? about the things that happened in, our wor- happened in our world, the invasion of Ukraine by Russians, sex trafficking, killing of the unborn, unjust shootings, killings in our street, courts getting it wrong, people in power using their power not to help, but to just get more power. It doesn't sit right with us. It shouldn't sit right with us. And maybe if I draw even a little closer to home, we can talk about the world stage, but how about in your own life? In your own life, maybe the shady business dealing that leaves you high and dry financially, or the deception from a spouse or a friend, injustice. What do we do when life under the sun comes to our doorstep? When injustice comes to our doorstep, when people treat us unjustly, how do we respond as people who believe in God, that God is just, but he also has all things ordained for their time, as we learned in Ecclesiastes a couple of weeks ago? How do we put those two things together when life doesn't seem fair? What do we do? Do we respond with the same vengeance and vitriol and bitterness and anger that we see the world all around us responding with? How should we respond? We come back this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would turn there with me. Ecclesiastes is the middle of chapter 3, page 554 on a Bible close to you. The words will be up here if you've got a device or a Bible in front of you to encourage you to go there with us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we come in in the middle of the chapter in verse 15, and what we're going to see in this passage, like Solomon has done before, the teacher, he has looked at all of life, just life under the sun, without God, just in and of itself, in its natural state, observing, and what he's observed so far is that it's vanity. All of our toil, there's no gain in it, ultimately, and he said life is fleeting, striving after wind, it's like a breath, comes and goes, so our work or our toil In the end is vain, our learning of knowledge in the end is vain, our possessions, our pleasures in the end don't satisfy. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about time. There's a time to live and a time to die. We said even time, it just keeps on trucking. There's this machine and people, you come and you go and people forget you. There's a time for all things under the sun and yet, Solomon is not completely depressed. There's some hope in the book of Ecclesiastes. I know you're wondering about it. There's some hope. He said, yet, life lived under the sun with all these things can be meaningful. It can be purposeful if our aim is to know and please God. Knowing and pleasing God makes even the temporal things have meaning. Our possessions, our time, our toil, our labor, all of it has meaning. And that's good news, that's good news. That means that you can go eat ice cream and enjoy it. That means you can watch Appalachian State beat up on Texas A&M down the road at Kyle Field and rejoice. I'm just kidding. 
There's no, no whoops this morning. Just too soon. Sorry. Right? You can enjoy life. You can go to a nice dinner with your spouse. You can eat dinner together. You can enjoy your family. You can enjoy your work in God's timing and God's hand. Today, Solomon moves from the God-ordained seasons of time, good and bad, and considers the injustices in the world that he observes under God's ordained watch. So what do we make of injustice when we believe in a just God? When God doesn't seem to show up when he, we want him to show up. When oppressions happen in our world and yet we know that we're made in the image of God and we have worth and dignity and value and we see injustice and oppression. Is God present? Is he anywhere around this? Does he care? Will he deal with it? Ecclesiastes 3, let's look at it. Ecclesiastes 3, 15, all the way to 4, chapter 4, verse 3. Let me read it. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. Talking about seasons and life. And God seeing all things and enduring all things, the things that he does endure forever. And then look at this phrase, and God seeks what has been driven away or persecuted. So we already answered the question, is God present? Does God care? Yeah. He seeks after the people that in time and space, when they're going through seasons of trouble and death, et cetera, et cetera. And then look at the rest. Verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. He's observing. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Praise God. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man also happens to beasts. It's the same. One dies and so dies the other. Solomon needs a hug. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage, appearingly, over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. We know Solomon already answered that in chapter 3, verse 11, like 10 verses ago, that eternity is written on our hearts, so he's not talking about that. So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should do than rejoice in his work, for this is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? These are repetitive themes that we've already seen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw, so he's observing again, injustice, now he's observing the oppression. All the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was, there was power. Oppressor oppressed, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, needs another hug, who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. First thing I want to say this morning, you really see it in the bookends of this text. In the first few verses and the last few verses, it's right and good. Our hearts cry out, 
rightfully so, our hearts cry out against injustice, where there should be justice. Is that not true? When you think of 9-11, when you think about the injustices that are in your mind right now in your own life, do you not cry out for justice? Yes, why? Because God is a just God. And in verses 15, he encourages us and says God is there, that God seeks after those who are being persecuted, those who are going through death and plucked up and killed and breaking down from chapter 3, the different seasons of life, that God is present, that he's there, that he cares. But look at verse 16. He's asking honest questions. I love this about Solomon. Like, the cookie-cutter answers don't do. They don't do for him any more than they really do for us. The Christianese answers, he's asking honest questions that we really ask. We might not say it, but we ask them. In the place of justice, i.e. things like the court or the church, there's wickedness. When that's the very place that there ought to be justice. The courts, the law, the church, but there's not. And so he's crying out, the place that should give us justice is giving us more and more injustice. You come to chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3, and he goes specifically talking about the oppression of people at the hands of other people. And what's, what do the other people have that the oppressed don't? They have power. So that might be someone who has more money than you, in a position than you, your boss, etc. And they basically, he's saying, they stay under the thumb of the one who has more. And there's no comfort for them. No comfort. Listen, the reality of this, you see through the Bible, the Bible doesn't hide this. The Bible doesn't hide under the sun in a broken world that there is, and there, there has been, there is, and there will be injustice under the sun in a broken world. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon, you're going to see it all the way through Ecclesiastes. If you flip to chapter 5, I'm just going to give you some Bible here, because the Bible doesn't avoid this, it actually speaks into this. And says, life isn't fair. Ecclesiastes 5, 8, and 9 say this, and he's saying it in a sarcastic way, what you're going to see right after this. He calls this vanity. He calls this a grievous evil. So read it that way. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, not good, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by another high official. And there is yet another higher official over them. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivating fields. This is justification of oppression. Hey, the end justifies the means. We're getting crops. Put your thumb on them. Solomon calls that a grievous evil. He calls that vanity. He calls it wrong. Keep looking. Matthew, Jesus talks about the reality of injustice in our world. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's just said, you need to love your enemies and turn the cheek. And then he says this, God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. Sun comes up in the morning on all of us. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even the farmer who does it wrong, who's greedy, the, the rain comes to him just like it comes to the righteous. It's the reality of living in a fallen, broken world. Revelation 6, the martyrs cry out. These are Christian martyrs who believe in the sovereignty of God over all things, who believe God is just and he's holy. And this is what they say when they cry out, 
O sovereign Lord, holy and true. So these aren't the people outside of faith. These are people that love God and love Jesus. They say this, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? You feel that? Sometimes you feel that in life. You want justice and you want it yesterday. A lot in the Bible that deals with the reality of justice. Post-World War II, The Nazis surrender. But what do we know in history happened? Many of high-ranking officials in the Nazi regime made it to South America. Did you know that? Objective reality. The doctor of death made it to South America. We arrested him, put him on trial with like thousands of others. There's a show. Listen, if you're, if you're looking for a show like you finished a season of something, you're looking for a new show and you like these kind of things, the History Channel has this show called Hunting Hitler. This is not like Search for Bigfoot or Sasquatch, like weird stuff, okay? Hunting Hitler, History Channel. When I was a kid, what was in my fourth grade history book is that Hitler died in the Fuhrer bunker, right? And maybe he did. And I, we have pictures, right, of, of the body of Hitler covered up and two Russian soldiers there, and they took his body to Russia. Well, here's a newsflash, and this is declassified information as of about 15 years ago. We knew this before. DNA evidence to that body tells us that that was a female's body. Did you know that? And so about 10, 12 years ago, the U.S., England, all the different intelligence communities of the world released tens of thousands of, of classified documents. They declassified them. And there's this show called Hunting Hitler. It'll freak you out. And so what they do is they ask the question, and they, the guy who was the head of the CIA for about 10 years, uh, army ranger, so not weird Sasquatch people. If you believe in that, I'm sorry. Like people who have credibility. I'm a realist. I don't buy stuff, conspiracy theory stuff at all. And they all go, using this classified information, they go back and they ask the question, could, is it possible? Is, the, is what we don't want to be true potentially true? Could Hitler have got to Argentina like all these other Nazis? And at the end of this, it's not completely conclusive, but there is plenty of evidence to suggest the possibility that Hitler got away, and he died somewhere in South America. How do you feel about that? Well, it's just a conspiracy theory, Seth, whatever. Maybe it is. But what if that were true? How does that land on you? Wrong. No justice. Cry out for the blood. That doesn't sit well with you. That doesn't sit well with me. And if you ask broader, and I'm going to get into it here, if we ask the question in our own culture, what's the greatest injustices in our nation's history? Oh boy, here we go. We'd have a lot of answers. What are the greatest injustices in our own land? Man, we could talk about abortion and 60 plus million babies being killed. We could talk about racial injustice. We could talk about slavery. We could talk about segregation. We could talk about class injustice. We could talk about sex trafficking. We could talk about domestic abuse. And the list goes on and on. 
And here's what we tend to do in an overly politicized, kind of political worldview culture. We're in it, y'all. What we tend to do is we, we tend to argue about which one's worse. Is it abortion? Is it racial injustice? Is it sex trafficking? Is it domestic abuse? Do you think God sits in heaven and does that? Like the Holy Trinity, you think they sit around and go, well, this one's worse than this one and this. I think they look at it all and say, injustice, wrong. And yet we, because of our political affiliations, we're like, well, this one's not as bad as this one. Here's the deal. The world struggles with this. The church struggles with this. And there are objective injustices that everybody can see, and there are subjective injustices where you're just looking for something behind every rock. But listen, I don't think God sees it often the way that we see this. I think he just calls a spade a spade, even if it doesn't fit our persuasion and what moral injustice on one side or the other. And I think as Christians, we ought to be able to do the same. I'm going to offend everybody here. So what's the biblical response? We know the biblical reality is that there will be injustice. The sun goes down on the righteous and the wicked every day. But what's the right response? What's the right response for Christians who believe in the justice of God but also believe in mercy? What's the right response? I could give you a lot of passages. I'm just going to give you one, Micah 6.8. Perhaps you know all of Micah 6.8. Perhaps you use part of Micah 6.8, depending on your flavor. What is Micah 6.8? Remind us of. I lost my page. It's just one of those days. Micah 6 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Can I tell you what's in vogue in our world right now? Do justice. Do you think love, kindness, and walk humbly with God applies? No, no, no. Justice. I can bring down, we need to bring down justice on the unjust and whatever place there is to do that. Where's mercy? Where's forgiveness? The only thing that distinguishes, the chief distinguishing aspect of Christianity is there's both. There's a just God and a merciful God, and he calls us to walk in both Humbly before him. And if, you can't, if we don't walk humbly before God, we do one or the other. So it's in vogue just to do justice and cancel people. And I'm going to go here because I think it's important, but I'm going to go here in a holistic way. For, so hold on. Listen, if you're a person who's gone through things that I haven't gone through, oppression or injustice in a certain way, listen, critical theory may be tempting. Because it seems to, at least in the beginning, address the injustice. But let me say this to us. As Christian people, it doesn't deal with kindness. It doesn't deal in redemption. It doesn't deal in forgiveness. It's just justice. And what happens when we seek justice without mercy and without forgiveness, we just commit more injustice. So things like critical theory, whether it's race or class, whether it's sexual whether it's identity politic, it fails. It falls short of a Christian ethic. 
It falls short of the gospel that says, no, we are unjust, and there was a, a just one who died in our place. The end of it doesn't suffice. Know that. But I'll also say this. Some of you say, amen. Preach it, pastor. Pin drop. But for many of us in the room, the, the, it's also in vogue that we're just cold. We're just cold toward injustices that may be happening in our world because of our political persuasion. We don't call a spade a spade. I've been there. That's my guilt as well. We have far too little sympathy and empathy toward people who are going through junk. We can do better as a church on both sides of that. Both sides of that. So I offended everyone. Life, Solomon's saying, under the sun is not fair. Life's never been fair to you. It's not fair to you now. Under the sun, without God, it won't be fair to you. But here's the question, the second question that comes from this text. Do you really want fair? Do you really want, before God, what we deserve? Do we really want fair? Look at 18, verse 18 through 22. 18 through 22. Where he says, I read it. He's talking about there's no difference. He's just comparing. He's comparing the beast, the animals of the world that have breath, life in them because God's given them life and humans. And he's saying, look, in the end, we all die. We all go from dust to dust. I don't think he's saying, just to be clear, I mean, Genesis 1 and 2 make it really clear. Humans are made in the image of God. We're not just beasts. Atheism says that. Christianity says, no, we have worth and dignity and value. That we are God's vice regents on the earth. I don't think that's what he's getting at. He's just, get, he's just making the observation that people die and the beasts die. The human observation. But here's the question I will pose here. Why do we die? Why do we go from dust to dust? What's the answer? We know we go from dust to dust and we die because in Genesis, the beginning, remember God makes us in his image. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden to work it, to till it. He's there with them and has relationship with them. And God's original design, even though he's sovereign over all things and providential, his original design was that they walk with God in the cool of the day, that Eden would still be present like it was then and it will be one day. But what did we do? We committed the most unjust act. We rebelled against God. We went our own way. And what was the consequence to that? The consequence broadly is now the world became a broken place. There was death and it rained. And we had problems with relationship and life. And then you turn one page and you get to chapter 4 of Genesis, and what do you see? You see Cain wanting to kill his brother Abel, and you see God saying, sin is like a lion crouching at your door. Don't do it. And he does it. He kills his brother. 
And what does God say? The blood of Abel is crying out for justice. And what happens to Cain? God judges him. He doesn't kill him, but he gives him a mark. And you just keep seeing it all the way through the rest of the storyline of the Bible. You get to chapter 5, and what do you see in chapter 5? Well, there's a genealogy. What am I supposed to do with that? And they died, and they died, and they died. Chapter 6, God looked across the earth and saw all the exceedingly wicked things. And what does he do? He brings judgment all the way through the Bible. That's the story of our history. And we go to passages like Romans 5, and it tells us more about original sin. And it tells us that through one man, man, sin entered the world, but it condemned all of us. That we're all guilty. And you go, well, I don't, that's not fair either. We sin every day against God, a holy God. It is fair. And not only that, chapter 6 of Romans tells us what we get and what we deserve because of our sin. Romans 6.23, you probably know it. The wages, what we earn because of our sin, is what? Death. Do you see the connection here? Here's the deal. Life's not fair. We should cry out against injustice in the place justice should be. But listen, do you really want what you deserve? Do you really want my, my old pastor, Tommy Nelson? There's some things pastors say over and over, and it just you just kind of remember it. And he would always say this when we talked about justice. Be careful when you ask God for justice because he might just start with you. You've heard the saying, when you point the finger at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? We can be about justice in our world, but know that we're guilty. Before God, we are unjust. And guess what? Here's the other little dirty secret. We all commit unjust acts against one another. Lest you think your hands are perfectly clean, and your heart is perfectly clean, We've all done it. We've all committed unjust acts against other people with our own power to get ahead. So yes, life's not fair, but we don't want fair because God might start with us. Here's the point. The universal curse of death reminds us of our own complicity in injustice. Man, it's so easy to go, they deserve justice, I deserve mercy. We're always there. That's our default. I deserve mercy and grace. You need justice. We need the hammer to bring broad down on you. But it's important for us to remember our own complicity. Can I ask you just diagnostic question? Are you blind to your own complicity? Maybe it's the relationship that's broken, that, that, that unjust act that somebody committed against you, and all you can think about is what they did but in your mind, your hands are totally clean. And maybe they are, but they're probably not. See, I think God wants to use our own complicity to remind us that we need mercy, not just justice. Walking humbly before him means that we have to take a look downwind of ourselves sometimes and go, was I completely just? Or am I complicit as well? That's tough. Life isn't fair. 
further inspection. We don't really want fair. But what do we need? What do we really need to receive and what do we really need to know? Because the world offers no real lasting forgiveness, no real remedy, no real restoration. God does. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. And we've been in bad news. Let me give you some good news. Here it is. King Jesus brings life from death and will one day right all the wrongs. Verse 17, look at it. This is, this is the key verse in the whole passage. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. Here's the beauty. All those wrongs, God will one day right. He will right wrongs. One day. Flip over to chapter 12, the end of Ecclesiastes. You've got to understand the end of Ecclesiastes to understand where he's going. Chapter 12 and verses 11 through 14, the very end of the book, it gives us perspective. The words of the wise are like goads, like the nails firmly fixed, the collected sayings. I mean, they're meant to penetrate you. They're given by one shepherd or one Messiah is the word we get. Messiah. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And my study is the weariness of the flesh, meaning there's a lot of ideas out there, but look at it. Here's the end of the matter. All that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed to judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's encouraging. When you think about the injustices of the world that haven't been made right, the injustices in your own life, God will deal with it. Do you trust him? That's hard. I've got to be patient. I've got to be so patient that I may never see God doing this, but he will one day right the wrongs. 1 Peter chapter 2, how does he do it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. He does it through his son. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued, here it is, this is really important, to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Look at 3.18. 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous or just, some translations say just, same word here, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made us alive in the spirit. Do you know this good news? Do you know it? Do you know the good news that one day Jesus will take care of all of it? It's hard to trust, but do you know that? Do you also know that he, Christ, died? He was the just. 
and he died for you and for me, the unjust, the one who deserved not to be treated fairly. He died on a cross for you and for me. He took that injustice upon himself so that you might know a just God, that you might have relationship with him. What a gift of his mercy. What a gift of his grace. I want you to think about, I I grew up in Cuspa, West Texas, so we said it like this. I want you to think about the things that chap your hide. You ever heard that phrase? The things that get under your craw. just, Just for a minute, I want you to think about those things. In your past, Maybe it's childhood, maybe it's your parents, I don't know. Whatever it is in the past or the present, things that are frustrating you right now that are unjust, you to think about those things. How do you entrust, and ask the, answer this question, how do you entrust yourself to a faithful creator with that situation? That's hard. I don't know if I can do that. The honest truth is this. The longer you hold it, the more it defines you. The longer you hold on to it, the more you need to hold on to it. Because you start considering letting it go and entrusting God with it. You're like, what am I going to put in its place? I like, the, the, the reality is sometimes we get to a place where we like being bitter in our flesh. We like vengeance. We like having that conversation when we're mowing the grass and we're mad at somebody. I don't know, maybe I've done that. And I wanna help. Like I'm looking at this text all week going, how can I be an encouragement to the body? How can I shepherd through this? Um, I was on my (laughs) Facebook uh, neighborhood page, dangerous. I don't get on there often, but sometimes it just shows up. And a lady yesterday posted this on the Westwood, right here, site. And she said, uh, Mr. Rogers didn't adequately prepare me for the people in my neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe that's an old one, but that was new to me. And you have all these comments. You're like, yeah, self-deprecating comments. Yeah, we're pretty shady. Yeah, my neighbor uh, yells when he's mowing the grass. Maybe they're talking about me. You know, I, I want to give you Mr. Rogers' answers. But Mr. Rogers' answers don't really suffice. I could give you three points about how to, you know, escape injustice or be treated fairly. But here's the reality that Solomon's laying out, and it's an important one. His life isn't fair. You don't want fair. What you need is mercy. What you need is grace. And to walk humbly with your God. And here's the hard part. One day, God will balance the scales. Sometimes you get glimpses of that. Sometimes you don't. But one day, he will balance the scales. And the hardest part about that is just to trust him. Because I want vengeance. I want this to be made right right now. I'd feel better if this was all made right right now. And that guy got ran over by a car. No. No. God wants us to trust him. He has sovereign plans for our lives. He doesn't leave anything to chance, not even the things that we experience that are bad and the injustices that are put upon us. He wants us to trust him. The chief application 
for this whole text, I would say it this way. Are you believing God will one day right wrongs? That those scales of justice will tip. Do you take God at his word? That one day he will do that. And perhaps you're here and you struggle with leaving injustices. Like you have a high, you've always had this high measure of justice when you're a kid. It's got to be fair when you're playing pickup basketball. You're, you're the person who's always calling the fouls, but you never foul anybody. Maybe you have a high sense of justice, and that's good. God's built that in, and yet you've got to show mercy. And you've got to walk humbly with our God. And I'm going to say this quote again because I said it a few weeks ago. You see in this text two times where Solomon is saying, listen, you've got to trust God and you've got to still enjoy life. And so I'll say it again. Do you let what you cannot control, i.e. injustice, some things you can't control, some things you can, some things you can't. Do not let what you cannot control destroy what you can enjoy from God's And many of us spend a lot of time being upset, being mad at the things that have happened to us. We can't even enjoy the good gifts that God has put right in front of us, i.e. our spouses, our children, our work, and the little things in life that God has given us to enjoy from his hand. Sometimes you don't get to see what people deserve but sometimes God gives you a little glimpse. After the 9-11 attacks, U.S. forces and allied forces went to Afghanistan, brutal region of the world to try to fight a war, history tells us. And they took out much of Al-Qaeda, Taliban, but no Osama bin Laden for almost 10 years. Many of us would say there was no justice served for almost 10 years. May 2nd, 2011. You remember where you were? I was in Spring Branch, got a four-year-old, got a two-year-old. I went to HEB at 10 o'clock at night. I'm checking out Bunker Hill, I-10, HEB. Never forget this. And I check out, and I'm about to walk out of the store And somebody who was checking out had checked the news. And they said, we got him. We got him. We got him. Osama bin Laden is dead. And the place erupts. And I get home, tell my wife, we turn on the television. And then President Obama says, justice has been served. And they pan in. They pin into ground zero where 3,000 people died and people cheering and celebrating, rightfully so, because justice was served. Our hearts cry out for justice where there is no justice that's right and good. And we often, like that example, have glimpses of justice being served even in life under the sun, but one day, listen, y'all, one day, there won't be glimpses of justice served. There'll be no more tears, betrayals, oppressions, injustices, no, no more bullhorn speeches. 
No more false promises from people in power that promise good that don't. Why? Because Jesus endured injustice to one day end injustice. Do you believe that? One day Jesus will judge the living and the dead and make all things new. But until then, until then, we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator. And here's what we do. We do justice. We love mercy. And we walk humbly with our God. Amen.